Stacy and I'm Norma and we're Black Girls with Accents. So welcome back. Welcome back. Hey Norma. Hello everyone. Hi Drizzy. So welcome back to season two, episode two. So some of you are avid listeners, at least may recall that we had such a great time reviewing Michaela Cole's hit series, I May Destroy You. And when Steve McQueen's Small Axe came out in 2020, we were equally as excited to watch yes. and to review um, so much of the series resonated with Norma and I because it reminded us of our upbringing in Europe, in the Netherlands and in the UK respectively. And we just couldn't wait to really dissect the the episodes and um, connect it to what the podcast is about. So we're going to be in season two discussing all things more acts and we will be breaking down the episodes but tying them back relating them to our own experiences and upbringing yes experiences that um at times or even when you like think back are like hey this is exactly what was going on but at the at the time i wasn't seeing it that way or not realizing that this is what uh our parents or um, other people from other people of color, for me specifically in the Netherlands, were trying to explain or trying to express. Right. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to tying in these uh, memories, but also like um, um, facts. Yeah. And so to show that this this is not in people's minds. This is, um, and it, it didn't only happen in England. This happened all over Europe. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing that with you guys. Right, so we're going to start today with um, Man- the Mangrove Nine, which was the first uh, episode in the Small Axe series. And as Norma said, this is really about uh, history, right? And the way certain histories are um, being told today and the mm-hmm. the reality that these histories and what, what we're going to be discussing tie into what's happening today. I think that the Steve McQueen uh, suite of um, short films couldn't have come at a more timely, um, more pressing moment as we yet again in, uh, engage in this, um, all these various grassroots social justice movements uh, as it pertains to the first story, The Mangrove Nine. Uh, mm-hmm. We see that once again, young people are rising up and demanding respect and demanding dignity and demanding their rights as citizens and uh, both Norma and I you know grew up in the in in the in the 70s and 80s when a lot of um politically a lot was going a lot was happening uh in the black communities pushing back against a lot of the racism systemic racism and oppression that they were facing but I was you know too young to really understand what was happening. I knew that there was tension, I knew there was fighting. I would see on the nightly news. I didn't necessarily knew, know what it was stemming from. From the older adults in my family, I could sense their frustration and anger and also fear, fear for um, younger family members in their teens and early 20s yes. who were participating <clears throat> in the uprisings. 
uh, and also excitement from a younger set who, you know, we didn't grow up in London proper. Um, yeah. So the hearing about they're going to London this weekend and we knew it was a racial component. I knew that there were, there were race riots, didn't have the language to call it that, but we knew that the skinheads and other white supremacist groups were, um, you know, we were at war. I didn't, yes. I didn't have the full extent um, of knowledge to the police's involvement and the kind of uh, continued harassment as we see in the Mangrove Nine film uh, that was happening and they were instigating a lot of what was happening. I just saw police in riot gear, um, you know, pushing back against crowds, angry crowds. The way the, the way that the media spun the stories suggested that um, it was the black youth. I knew enough to know that we weren't the agitators, like solely, mm -hmm. it couldn't just have been us. But, you know, this is not taught, it wasn't taught at school. At school, the focus was on, you know, the oh, no. British <laughs> Empire. So we didn't get, but it was also happening in real time, right? So it wasn't history that, that had that had At happened. the moment. Yeah. I do want to share that the... The thing that I've noticed and the, the part that I consider the beginning, which I might clear, think might clarify for people who are not Caribbean descent or not African descent and raised in Europe, is that just how as Americans were brought here as slaves and then told that they are Americans. Like, you know, like you are American, like the patriotism part. I see this the same similarity in people in Jamaica and people in Suriname being raised under the crown. Like and not, of course under the crown stands for the English, but the Netherlands is also a kingdom. Right. And so what I've noticed is that that same reaction that that Jamaicans have and as and or Nigerian people have as where we feel British where you feel British, right. Suriname people, people from Curaçao, St. Martin, I would say, Indonesia, mm. those people, we were raised to believe that we are Dutch. Right. And so even going to school in that specific country, you're being taught about the Netherlands, the map of the Netherlands, the, of you being the history of our kingdom and stuff like that. So right. people are raised and they believe that they are Dutch. Now they move because of their nationality to this particular part of their what they consider their country in a whole, mm -hmm. which is the Netherlands itself. And now you get there and the people that live in the Netherlands are treating you like a like you're not right. Dutch. Right. Or and 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 giving and coming up with names to separate you from um, what you at your core believe is your your being, your heritage, because you were right. raised that way. Right. And so I want people to understand that the friction comes from that. These people were raised to believe that they were a part of this one thing, only to move to Europe and being absolutely made clear by the people that live there very strongly and with a lot of racism that they do cannot they do not consider them their equals. They do not consider them, for my um, part, uh, Dutch, and um, even look down on them. 
Right. And so I now, as an adult, understand the anger and the fight better. Because when I was younger, I used to do things like, why can't they just get along? Or why can't they just do right. what they tell them to do? We should be fine. And I'm like, no, now, now it's clear why it's not fine, because... You tricked me. You bamboozled me. You made me believe one thing. Right, right. And then when I said, hey, but you said I was this, you were like, and then the racism kicks in and all the, um, you know, whatever you can think of, either with words and actions, right, show right. clearly that, uh, that that was never your intention, except for taking the wealth right. of the place. Yeah. Right. So right. I, I just wanted to share that part for people that might not be familiar right, with right. where the... Um, issues are coming from. I certainly think it was a rude awakening for the immigrants who, right, immigrants in quotes, because you were, you weren't, Mm -hmm. yes, you were migrating from one country to another, but your passport, your passport was legally, (laughs) was legally, you know, under the Commonwealth, under the crown, you had a, you know, you had a legal, as a a Commonwealth citizen, you were British. Um, Mm I think the rude awakening came from this this hostile reception um, mm-hmm. in the in the McQueen series. We're at the, we're in the seventies. Black people had been in England since the going back to the sixteenth century. Not in large numbers. It's not until the nineteen forties, post World War Two, where they are invited, and we've discussed this before. And mm-hmm. much like with Suriname and the war, they were invited to go to England because their country, you know, England had fallen apart, was crumbling, and they needed people to help rebuild the infrastructure. So they invited uh, mm-hmm. their countrymen in particular to come back and rebuild. So, so by language, the British invited their countrymen in the Caribbean yeah. to come back and rebuild. And it's the... It's the first generation kids who are speaking out. I'm not suggesting that um, those who came in the 50s, uh, 40s or 50s were not speaking out. They were. There was a lot of work being done um, in the 1950s because they were also catching hell. There was a lot of um, police brutality and most certainly <laughs> um, supremacist um uh, burning, bombing homes and attacking people on the street. But it's the first generation born, my uh, older siblings who were out there and, and cousins who were out there fighting back. And in part, it's because the older generation, in their mind, well, I'm going home, right? I'm going home mm-hmm. to whatever Caribbean island. So I'm here to make money, but I'm going to retire elsewhere. Yes, these people can hurl their insults, etc. But not only am I going home, but at least in the 60s, I've got an independence fight at home to worry about. We're fighting for our independence from the crown back in the Caribbean. So I, you know, I can't fight both and I'd rather fight to make my people free, right? Emancipated in my country of origin than fight this fight here, right? But those who are born in Europe and black, they didn't necessarily see themselves as anything other than um, French, British, Dutch, Italian, etc. And so mm-hmm. a younger generation is like, listen, we don't necessarily see uh, a Caribbean island as home, right? We don't see that as a home. We, we're living here. And so yeah. um, they're the ones to really um, kind of lead the movement. 
Yes, that makes that's makes such total sense to me. Um, I feel that when it when it comes to thinking back at them having a place in these making their own place in these new um, countries, new to them countries like now we're in Europe. I also understand that because of being out of place and then be and noticing like that you're being treated different that these people were trying to make like safe havens right and that's why i think um men's growth was really like um um familiar to me because when i grew up i felt like there were a lot of certain people in the netherlands but i realized now that it's because my parents took me to certain places right because now as an adult when i go back i'm like the the street image of of Ned, the Netherlands, especially, but even Amsterdam, is not as diverse as as it seemed in my mind as a child. But that's because my parents only took me to where the Suriname community was. So in my head, I was seeing black people a lot, um, and not realizing how small that community actually is. Right, um, and that's not even not even bringing in the part where there's discrimination being done amongst ourselves. So hmm. uh, I'm what is considered like a Creole Suriname girl. Mm-hmm. And so if I think back, I we didn't, so you have people that are considered Dogla, which is the, which means Creole mixed with uh, in, in Indian descent, which we call Hindu sometimes too. You have Hindu Suriname people, um, um, Hindustans is what we say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm thinking of um, the people that are Suriname that are also mixed with Java. And I can honestly say that I know that they're in Amsterdam, but if I think back, I really just grew up being around other Creole Suriname people. Mm. The, the, the groups of Suriname people did not necessarily mix right. with each other. And that's because of colorism. Right. Um, I know that, and yeah, because you know, like my and same, definitely the comments are still all the same. The the coarse hair, the whatever. So, so besides moving there, they're also not unified because they're all trying to be the best version of Dutch. What I'll say, I'll say in the um, in the UK at least, the South Asian, so like the Guyanese and the Trini. Um, the Trini population, um, there there is a often a conflicted history between the two groups, like the um, quote unquote African, those of African mm-hmm. descent versus those of South Asian descent um, and East Asian descent too. But you, there is certainly much more um, camaraderie or uh, um, allyship between South Asian those of South Asian descent and those of African descent mm-hmm. in the Caribbean. Um, and so when you think about what was happening in England, I can speak to uh, those two groups came together, even those who were not of um, Caribbean descent, but of, but of um, South Asian heritage. So those who came from India and Pakistan face the same kind of persecution in England at the time. And you see in the movie, in the movie, the character who plays Althea, um, 
Laquant, that when we're introduced to that character, True. she is addressing a, a group of South Asian workers and trying to get them to unionize, fight for their rights. So you did see a lot of working across racial lines to push for some of the same kinds of um, rights and to change the system. Yes, which is wonderful. I, I really do think that they got away with uh, separating us like that because that started in Suriname back when during when when they were colonized, like all those little getting their head tricks. And um, it was definitely done so that they wouldn't be, you right. know, become Strength a union and actually figure things out. Yeah. Yes, so, but um, uh, I think I mentioned it in an episode before too that um, the people from Curacao do not necessarily speak Dutch outside of school. And so certain people took a lot of pride in that we speak Dutch better. And mm, like, and language. I think back at it and I'm like, it's silly. Curacao people have Papiamento and they, there's more generations of Papiamento speaking children because of that. And as to where certain generations are losing the language because we upheld Dutch as the the yeah. proper one. Right. So. The standard, yeah. yeah. Language is culture. Um, for anyone who's interested, you can check out um, Ngugi Wathiongo's The Decolonization of the Mind. I don't know if you've read that, Norma. Um, excellent, excellent book. He writes about his experiences growing up, oh bloody hell, um, in Kenya and mm-hmm. uh, the educational system and how they use language as a way to divide and conquer and you couldn't speak um you know one of the many many um kenyan languages gikuyu in particular at school mm. and if you were caught talking it you had to wear a dunce hat etc etc that's so, nonsense yeah yeah so that's an important point that you raised there that those who preserved the culture were considered backward and primitive yes um, but <laughs> now years later they have a stronger connection and tie to culture whereas uh those who lost the language are now yearning yearning for it which is um a a tragedy i want to go back to what you were saying about spaces because what we see in the film Mm -hmm. is the restaurant that was owned by um uh, frank critchlow was Mm -hmm. a space so you spoke about those spaces it was an important space for the community to gather and to fellowship and that's important because i know so we grew up in a place called hertfordshire which is the first garden city tiny place that had some uh, manufacturing my father worked my father was a carpenter and so he moved out there for work and there was a small Caribbean community and like you said right we there were a handful it was small but we knew Mm -hmm. all the black families I can count there probably maybe 10 and they became like our families in a way they became family mm-hmm. everybody was auntie and uncle and and as such yeah. and so there were only a certain there were only certain spaces where where the adults could go and could you know eat their food and talk about politics and talk about home and so it would be the hairdresser would as one space and hairdressers might actually be in someone's kitchen not even a formal hairdressers right and because we did not live in london so you didn't have access to you know yeah a whole city that was very black it could be you know a quote-unquote auntie's living room a Places like bars, as we see in Mangrove Nine, and restaurants and cafes were important because this is where the community could be. 
You you, you yes. didn't have to deal with someone, you know, moving their bag away or looking at you a certain way or using racial slurs towards you or denying you service or following you around or serving yep. you with an attitude. You could just be your full self uh, unapologetically. Yep. And so that's what the Mangrove Nine was for the community. But it was also a place of political uh, organi- organizing, right? It's a yes. place where... Uh, the Black Panthers held their meetings, as we saw. So these were multi-functional spaces that were important for the community. And we see in the film that the police who are, you know, this heavy police surveillance and this continued harassment occurs, one, because they don't like the idea of this Black restaurateur trying to make a living building a a business a reputable business for the community and they acknowledge that this is a place of organizing where community can come together and Mm -hmm. the fear the fear of black people being able to organize organize and fight back and to think for themselves (coughs) and to be independent is what in my mind drives this kind of terrorism is terrorism. It um, is. The, the, the killing and the beating of individuals who've been committed of no crime. Yeah. When the Mangrove Nine organized and they organized after Critchlow's, um, uh, they, they um, rescinded his license to be an all night cafe. And so they organized a, peace, a peaceful protest because obviously you've got to think about the numbers. There was no way mm-hmm. the black community was going to be able to um, overthrow the police force, right? And so they organized this um, peaceful protest only to be met with um, the, the cops outmanned them 10 to 1 and mm-hmm. beat them and then uh, arrested them for inciting, inciting a riot. And for 55 days, they were on trial to defend themselves. So I know, Norma, that you you have a story about a woman who also tries to create her own business uh, in the Netherlands and then is met with this resistance for many, many years. Unfortunately, that's not even that long ago. This is 2017. So, but that 2017, when the story comes out, yeah, it's like years of harassment. Uh, Her name is Miss Emanuels and she had an ice cream salon in a town called Hilversum, not that far from Amsterdam. It was just, constant harassment and vandalism of her store and the police would come by and then give the advice that she should uh, these are just boys in the neighborhood she should ignore it she shouldn't file complaints and then she would insist on on filing complaints the neighbors even like spoke up and said like well you know can you guys patrol or can you do anything one of after years one of these days she tries to go into her shop with her son and is being harassed again and she gets upset and she i think she was about to clean because it seems to be the stick of a of a mop mm-hmm. and so she she took that stick out and to like defend herself from right. these people uh, the police came and told the the people that were harassing her that because she had a stick that they could file a report against her. So she actually ended up being on trial for having that stick um, 
Yes. <laughs> so wonderfully backwards. Um, but then it, it became a national thing and it's been in the news and um, and on television program. Like it is heavily discussed. Okay. There is a, yeah, there is Hoon Nederhoff um, is a, a, a Dutch white man and he um, like discusses it discusses it in length and i do like when um at times like this when a person that is dutch descend then and white that also talks about the right indecency of it all so that because right. i i think it, it gets lost sometimes people think that it's just oh there's just a black person over there right being loud and so i like how heavy it was discussed one thing that gave me the absolute chills when i watched the interviews and did the research is that one of the men that one of the white men that was vandalizing her and terrorizing her he applied for a job at the what we, <laughs> it's called the marche which is like the national guard or like yeah right and his application was like in like in process, like it wasn't like denied. It was in process. I have to follow up and see if it actually got denied. But as I was like, you could hear the gas even in the television show when she, when that came to light. Right. And just so many people not understanding, like, how can this possibly be? How can this lady be? And so almost every amount of people of color and definitely Suriname people went to the trial to show support wow, okay. at like how outrageous it was that she that she's the one in court right. after years for holding up that broomstick for defending herself right when they smeared poop on the flag of Suriname and like and poop on her window and uh, from her ice cream from her ice cream salon and yeah it's, it was years and years of terrorization but this story broke in 2017. And mainly because she was the one going to court. Wow. Wow. So this is why, you know, these stories are so important and why the McQueen suite and others like it. Right. I think we're going to have more and more and more of these kinds of stories. Um, In the UK, Black History Month is in October. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you get a lot of of, of the history of the struggles of black people um, in England then. But. I think as it is in the United States, it's, uh, we are in February now and it's Black History Month here. The, the whole idea of, of, of the history being everyone's history doesn't just belong to black people. That it's important for everyone in England to recognize this history because it happened in Britain, right? It happened um, to people who are British citizens. Uh, who may be of um, Caribbean ancestry or uh, South Asian ancestry, etc. But it happened to British citizens. And it's important for people to reconcile with that history, however difficult it might be. One of the things I appreciate about the film is the way they spotlight the significance of women in the resistance mm-hmm. struggles, right? Um, Barbara, yes. Barbara Bees is another one. Um, there's another one who's not mentioned because she's not part of this struggle, um, I want to say her name is um, Olivette Morris. I'll I'll look it up. But she Mm -hmm. played a prominent role in the Black Panther Party. Um, She's she's probably the the most well-known Black Panther in England. Um, It would be great if, you know, Americans, uh, Black Americans, well, all Americans, everybody, 
it'd be great if more people knew uh who she was um but anyway the film does a great job of showing that the women play such a prominent role and that's so much different than what we hear in america where the emphasis is on mlk and malcolm x mm-hmm. and they'll throw in a couple of women um so i i, I really like appreci- oh they were there but then no no they were a big part of it yeah, yeah i really appreciated the way that mcqueen um her name was olive morris um olive 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 morris i appreciate the way that the uh steve mcqueen really spotlighted women because barbara bees is the you know she's the one with the pig's head so what happens in the series is um when they are preparing to march barbara bees and there are there is there are images of her Mm -hmm. uh, with the pig's head right uh representing the police fascist pigs um and she was played a you know again an instrumental role in organizing the the protest that was much appreciated Yes, definitely. And the, what I appreciated or what made me have fond memories watching that episode is that um, we had a, it still exists. It's called Cafe Drafford. It's in, uh, it's in the Netherlands. It's in Amsterdam. And um, that's like, that's our, that was our spot. It took me also a long time to realize that those, the people that owned the, the cafe were related to my mom. I didn't put that together. I oh, thought wow. we were just always. <laughs> Always there. <laughs> just hanging out with other uh, Suriname people but um and we had a this is um when I'm younger so this is definitely the beginning of the 70s and um, I'm sorry the end of the 70s beginning of the 80s and so uh we had a we they had a soccer team at one point um I feel like even like a, a band like Suriname mm. music wow. but, so I feel like that one little place b- became like so many other things grew out of just the Draffer Cafe. Right. Um, we also had a tragedy because they used to play um, soccer in Suriname. So we had a plane crash that killed a big um, part of the soccer team. Oh, wow. Um, yes. Um, and and so what year was that? I feel like after that, it, sorry, what sorry. Year, what year was that? What year was that? I was just trying to think that on the top of my head. And I want to say it's, 88 or 89. Okay. And was a film ever made about them or a book? Or... No, it wasn't. And it was such a, it, the, the, the Suriname community was distraught. Like really, like I remember that being lingering for years um, because of, um, because of so, how many, how many families it affected. Because almost, every, almost everybody I knew was like, my an uncle died, an aunt died, and it was just because all the families had like, um, you know, some connection to that soccer team and that cafe, and um, oh wow, yeah, it was uh, hard. Sorry for not. I, I just thought of that detail, but I remember that after that, I feel like it all kind of dwindles down. But mm-hmm. the years before that, like the the cafe is kind of like a like a staple for the adults definitely like at night for like you know like relaxing and a drink or stuff right but then i also know that you go there for good food right like and and then we would have soccer tournaments just with it like just mini soccer mm-hmm. tournaments and so the cook was the the food was cooked by them often but then also people would bring stuff 
Um, and then you would see the other the other Suriname families at, at the soccer field. And I just started, I just remember recognizing certain, like, hey, I saw this person at the cafe too and blah, blah. And then I see them in, or you see people playing in the band and you're like, oh, that's, those are the same family. So I feel like that was, that was, um, um, that did came from trying to create a sense of community in this, in this uh, country that they all were so unfamiliar with. Right. And um, and so I like that they came together in in that way, and that I have uh, those positive thoughts back at and in that time. And then later on, we have the uh, Anton de Combe Center. But I still feel like I'm going to do that research and get back to you guys. But I have the feeling that it's still from that same family, the Draver, right. the people that did the Draver Cafe, that we probably ended up having the center because then that became like the, the kit angle right. to it all. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Now, unfortunately that our, our little community was so small um, where we were in Hertfordshire that we, I don't think we had, maybe my dad, maybe there was somewhere he went, but I can't think of um, a space that was so, and you know, unlike, unless it was in someone's home, I can't think of a space that was just really our own. Now in London, I mean, obviously it was a there was a much more densely populated a community of Black people, so it was, it was different. But for us, and not 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 the case. Um, I would like to I would like to think that this McQueen film, which has been nominated for um a couple of awards i've already gone on, my, gone on my rant about michaela cole being snubbed but um, <laughs> i think it's um important for people outside of europe to see the film because yes. there is there is the, the there's a sense that people know about the struggles in africa for obvious reasons right you know about what happened primarily in south africa because of apartheid and mm-hmm. that was an international spotlight on what was happening there and you obviously know about some of the various wars that happened the Biafran war maybe in Nigeria or what happened in Rwanda or you know much more about what happens on the continent of Africa than you do um, know about what's happening with the black population in Europe and so I'm really Mm -hmm. hoping that because it the film received some critical acclaim that people who are not of Caribbean ancestry or grew up in Europe and not of African ancestry, I really hope that they watch the film so they can understand that the resistance struggles were happening all over the world. Well, um, I've been very, I've been encouraging the Suriname uh, community to watch it, especially my parents, their generation. I think it would make them feel seen. Right. Uh, I've been talking about it a lot and like, and then, um, I have to find a way and um, maybe even try to connect with some uh, media outlets or something because they're having a hard time finding the films like because they don't necessarily have like Amazon the way we have oh, like okay. to watch it on Prime. And so I realized that if the if I can maybe make an effort to make it clear that there's other groups of um, people of color that this actually relates to very much in that are also in Europe. 
Right. And so I've been, I've been, but I've been talking about it a lot, especially to my family, uh, told my cousins to find a way to get their parents to see it. Um, and so, yes, to any person or any Suriname person listening, please look for the series Small X and, um, by um, Steve McQueen. And um, yes, you, it's, it's important. I feel like it's very important for Suriname people to watch those five films. Yeah. So we, 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 as you'll see, we didn't really give anything away. I mean, it is, it is, this is the first um, film in the suite is based there. Well, actually, them, and there's a historical dimension to all of them, actually. Um, mm-hmm. But we've tried not to give too much away uh, just so that the audience can enjoy the films on their own terms. But it's very, very powerful. It's an important story, uh, just one of many stories. This is just the one he happens to tell. Uh, yes. It's, it's, in about, it's about two hours long, maybe a little bit longer. Um, but it's a story that connects to a larger story, right? Uh, a story of resilience of the Black community in Britain, the Caribbean community in Britain, and the allyship that they have with, with, with others within that community, women and their role in the resistance uh, movement, um, the way in which the uh, uh, government had to come to terms with the reality that they had not welcomed its citizens, yes. and they had not done right by the people that they invited to come over to that nation to rebuild, they had not done right by them, to acknowledge that racism, yes, existed even in England because there was so much mm-hmm. resistance to acknowledge that what was happening uh, to Frank Critchlow was not motivated by racism um, and they had to come to terms recognize and admit that um, and so yeah. it is it was just thrilling to be able to see my heritage on television in a way I'd never seen it before it was just before. Um, yeah. it meant everything to me and my sibling I mean everybody was calling Mm -hmm. and have you seen it watch it um and so i think that for a younger generation to be able to see them themselves and to see this history is so important but again as norma said not just for those who were born and raised um in england but for any person who um is the product of colonialism definitely i always this is my uh layman's term um um, definition of how it all went. They trained one group and didn't train the other. I say they trained the people of color to believe one thing and never informed the people in the country of itself and been like, hey, these people are part of us. And I feel like that's a big um, part of all the the negative uh, backlash of what of what happened here. Yeah, Agreed. and then racism is the best the best form of it there's there's some stereotypes that are so um ridiculous that i'm that it makes me laugh now like like certain people are lazy oh. and then i look at the real history and then i'm like yeah i see how these things came about yeah. i also have this idea of and i feel the same way about americans and and black americans is that um we know all of their stuff Yes. And they know so little of us. Yeah. As you said. They've, yeah. No, no, you're right. Go ahead. No, that was it. <laughs> yeah, no, as you said, right, that that think about when when our grandparents or great grandparents were um in the quote unquote colonies at that time 
how much you know they had to learn British or Dutch mm-hmm. or French or Spanish or Italian history. They had to know their monarchies and even their their streams and the names of their trees and their birds and their flora and fauna. Mm-hmm. Um, but in... I mean, our streets have Dutch names. Suriname streets have mostly Dutch right. names. Right. So right. Right. Plantation names. Plantation holder names. There's a great book by Jamaica Kincaid called um, A Small Place where she writes mm-hmm. about growing up in Antigua and the British mm-hmm. influence and how long after they left, how it's still reflected exactly in the names of the streets and the churches and the and yeah. even the education, right? So um, th- this has been wonderful to uh, discuss this with you today, Norma. And we I hope yes. that our audience has enjoyed it. it. You know, again, we've tried not to give too much away, um, but we yes. strongly encourage you to watch it and um, let us know what you think. Yes, enjoy. I'm, I'm looking forward to the comments. You can find us on Instagram if you want to interact with us. It's Black Girls with Accents. Leave us comments. Uh, you can. I've noticed actually you can also leave us comments on uh, below the podcast. So feel free to interact with us. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. All our handles are the same. And looking forward to coming back with more of these small X-series stories. Thank you. Bye for now.